last time we spoke was December the 9th, 2020. Don't worry, I had to look it up. In the last 20 months, not only have you written this book, Groundwork, which is about basically the life and times of Jim Smith's Derby County, the good news is that Liam Rossinia is your manager. That is unabashed good news, isn't it? Yes, exactly, yeah. It's been a long, however long, what, 20 months, did you say? It's been a long time, and a, a long, tumultuous time, but it feels like Derby are a little bit more like a normal football club at this stage, which is something that, especially through the writing, uh, through the, the course of writing his second book, didn't actually feel like it would ever ever come to pass because you know you had administrations and countless points deductions failed takeovers now we're at a stage where Derby are a standard normal football club which is uh, quite unusual is it weird that you're no longer Frank Lampard's Derby County or Wayne Rooney's Derby County you're just Derby County no one is referring to Derby as Liam Rossini's Derby County right it's nice it's mm. nice honestly because uh, it was nice to have Lampard here for a season um, and it was nice to have Rooney here as well but at the same time it felt very much like they were temporary stops on their on their sort of road to wherever they'd end up next Derby County is a, is a football club is an institution is is bigger than any one person and it felt quite derogatory at times to to be known as a certain individual's football club and I'm sure for them as well they, they would have found it awkward but um, I think it was a it was an easy nickname to give the club um, but at the same time, it's nice to get to a stage where we don't need to be that anymore. We can just be, if you like, League One's Derby County or something yes. like well, that. Yes, well, do you know, but, it's just popped yeah. into my head. I know why they're called Fleverton now. I thought it was some kind of dismissive kind of name. Oh, look at how they're flowing, flowing Everton. But it's Frank Lampard's Everton, Fleverton. That is how yeah. much I'm not paying attention to Twitter discourse. Um, so what must be great, and before we cover some of the bad stuff, but we're not really here to talk about that because you probably do that elsewhere, the brilliance of uh, the fact that you have Derby back and that online you're not sniping over the owner selling, the new buyers coming in, and I guess you were able on Saturday just gone, we're talking on August 15th, I presume you were at Pride Park on Saturday to watch Derby beat Barnsley and what was a rerun of fixtures from recent seasons. No, so, I mean, sadly, I was actually working on Saturday, so I had to follow it from home, which mm. was terrible planning from me. Um, but, it, yeah, I was there for a couple of pre-season games and there towards the end of last season as well when there was sort of the uncertainty. And, you know, I mean, we're still getting 29,000, 30,000 a week in, in League One. And it's a place where now we're not wondering, is, is this the last time that we're off to, off to the football? So... On a personal level, I was I was living in Germany the last last three years, and I flew back for a game in February, I think it was, because it looked like it could be Derby's last ever match. It was it was that serious, and it was something which wasn't really that well known from the outside. I don't think it was a case of oh they're, they're Derby, they'll be fine, they're, they're too big to to go under sort of thing. But it did get that close, um, and now yeah, now it's a, it's an incredibly sort of grateful time because Derby do exist purely due to the the behaviour and the, the decision to buy the club from a fan himself so it is very very strange being in this position after a long time of, of not knowing what would happen to the football club and we had three or four failed takeovers from three or four people who really were not fit to, to own a football club and it took us long enough to 
to find the right person because of how how much we owed in in debts and some of the issues we had with well, some of the big issues we had with the, the former chairman Mel Morris as well. But to get to this point where we are now, it's quite surreal to be honest yeah. because it's a case of on a Saturday afternoon you can look forward to discussing how a player plays rather than will this football club still exist this time next week. And this is a really disrupted season. Having lived in Germany. Do you also hope Germany do well at this pathetic World Cup that Brazil is going to win? It's fixed. No one cares. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, I've got a soft spot for for Germany as a national team. Obviously, I still support England, but at the same time, I went to the pub to watch the Euros, England against Germany last year, and it, you know, it was one of those places where there was a lot of songs that I was like, this, this shouldn't really be sung sort of thing. So I do certainly have sort of a, a soft spot for, for Germany now, but at the same time, if England were to play them, then uh, I'd, I'd back us to, or I'd at least support us to, to get the victory anyway. Are there any Derby players, past or present, taking part in the World Cup? Um, Off the top of your head. Sorry, I've thrown this on you, but yeah, hey, you yeah, are Mr. Darby. No, no. You've written this book called Groundwork, which is out now. Yeah, if, we, if we're taking lone players, which we absolutely are taking. Mason Mount, of course. Mason Mount, Harry Wilson, Tamori if he gets there. Christian Bielik might go as part of the Poland side. Um, Kamil Juzviak as part of Poland. That's, that's probably about all we're, all we're getting, to be honest. Brilliant. But there are a few, a few options there. Yeah, well, it's a shame that Conor Hurrihane, who I really appreciate, he was ex-Barnsley, wasn't he? So that was a, yeah, a derby yeah. game for him. But I remember seeing him in a park, I think I've told you this before, seeing him score a free kick from 25 yards out. I thought, I've got to remember this name. And Hurrihane is a top-class international, but not, uh, the Republic of Ireland uh, are not there. Would Nathaniel Mendes Lang's goal-scoring spree put him in contention? Um, he's, I think he's, his moment's probably gone. I think he's... About 29, 30 now, without any sort of international experience. I think you're probably struggling a little bit, but he's a good player. Um, and with with Mendes Lang and, and Hurihan, you're talking about two players who are above League One quality Shouldn't be as in well. Division. Um, Should not be in there, no. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we've had a few of those we've signed over the summer. You know, you've got um, Tom Barkhausen from Preston, James Chester. Um, I mean, you've got a decent, a decent squad. And then we kept hold of some of the young players as well who really shouldn't be. Shouldn't be down in League One, so probably a better squad than we had this time last season, mm-hmm. and definitely the season before as well. I think these homegrown players, Cashin, Sibley, and the great Max Bird. You can't ever refer to him as Bird. He's got to be like Mason Mount or Solly March. It's Max Bird. Um, there must yeah. be a chant for Bird. Don't think there is. If, there, if there's no, there definitely isn't. From top of my head, I've not heard one anyway. Maybe there's one floating about at some random away games that I've not been to. But yeah, there's Max Bird, you've got Jason Knight in there. But then the thing is, we had to because of the financial situation, we lost a lot of them as well. So our side last season was made up almost primarily of, of young players with with Curtis Davis alongside them, basically. And then we had Festia Bacelli, who's playing for Udinese now against AC Milan Malcolm Evioi who's in the Crystal Palace first team squad Luke Plange Crystal Palace's first team squad as well so yeah we've, we've lost a lot of talent that would have probably sold for, for millions if we were in a better or a decent financial position um, so there are a lot of good young Derby Academy graduates out there who won't play for Derby yeah, it just goes to show that if you are run badly, or actually he'll probably sue if I say he did badly, if you run it in a kind of way that is less than optimal given the history and tradition of the club, yes. I think he should have yeah. run it more like Lionel Pickering. 
who owned the club, bought it from Robert Maxwell in 1991. Was Maxwell keen to offload Derby in that era too? Had he been bankrupt then? Yeah, yeah, Maxwell was, um, he was hated by Derby fans for a start. I mean, he was hated by most people, to be honest. But yeah, there was a, there was an incident at a Derby against Arsenal game, I think it was, where um, he misheard the fans. He thought they were just chanting his name and they were actually calling him something very, very different. Mm. And he vowed from that day on never to step foot in the stadium again. And he was, he was quite desperate to get rid of the club at that point because he, he saw it as the fans not appreciating him. Um, but he'd taken a lot of money out of the club and was trying to sort of fill fill the gaps that he, he had everywhere else essentially um, and then yeah Lionel Pickering who was a local businessman who at first Maxwell banned from the baseball ground um, ended up taking over in sort of a, a convoluted sort of way because Maxwell wouldn't necessarily do business with him one on one but uh, a sort of a, a consortium came together and, and Lionel Pickering was sort of at the, the money man behind that essentially I'm going to do it in reverse, because the thing I wanted, having looked at the Jim Smith seasons, which was, what, 95 until 2001-2, the thing I noticed was that Seth Johnson went to Leeds two weeks after Jim Smith left, which puts me in mind of how Graham Taylor and Luther Blissett left Watford within the same month, I think. So it was a real end-of-era feeling. Was the departure of Seth Johnson linked to Jim Smith resigning after a 2-0 home defeat against Arsenal uh, in October of that year? I, I, I don't think so. I think it was just a case of a club who were in, in very, very difficult financial positions and I think the money we were off of Seth Johnston, we were selling players at that point. We saw Rory Delap around then. Malcolm Christie and Chris Riggett would both follow quite quickly afterwards. Um, so we were sort of a, a selling club. You know, Paolo Wanchop and Igor Stimac had been, had been sold because because of financial needs, essentially. So it was, a, it was a Derby side who had to sell to sort of try and survive at that level. And it was never going to be the case. I think for Seth Johnson, we got seven million and then brought him back on a free transfer about four years later. So it wasn't, wasn't necessarily bad business looking back. But yeah, it was, a, it was, not, a, it was not a happy time in those, those final few weeks and months under Jim Smith, at least. Yeah, one win in the first seven games of that season. Evidently, it's not because... There was a loss against Arsenal, who were very proper Wenger at that time. Um, pretty good. Could you, regardless of the finance, yeah, I mean, Ravinelli came in, but could you tell, watching Derby, that something was amiss? You could tell with the sign-ins that something was amiss. Um, and primarily, yeah, that's Ravinelli. I mean, we, there's a story in Groundwork where he was offered, well, he was paid 38000 a week, reportedly, in 2001, which is extortionate. I mean, even now that'd be extortionate, but £38,000 a week was more than the rest of the side pretty much would get combined. Um, And not only did we sign him on a one-year contract, it turned into a two-year overnight as well. I think we ended up paying him for about the next five or six years. You could tell with that that things weren't right at the club because he was the only signing we made that summer. Um, We'd lost quite a few first-teamers. I think Dean Sturridge had, had left in the the summer before obviously Seth Johnson went Roy Delap when we had a side who were made up of youngsters and aging players um, and yeah it was a, a case of a club where the Ravinelli was sort of the last the last big throw at the dice essentially every summer Jim Smith would essentially make one sign in so you had Igor in one summer um, Alyosha Stanovic in another Stefano Aranio 
and the idea was that Ravinelli would be that summer's big signing, but it never really came to pass because the players who were around him weren't quite up to his standard, and even he wasn't up to the standard that that we thought we were getting and that we thought we were spending ridiculous amounts of money on. Yeah, well, the big one I'm looking at, in having spoken to Man City fans who enjoyed Georgie Kinkladze in the 90s, probably not a Jim Smith player, although maybe you can tell me what a Jim Smith player was, but Craig Burley, Lee Morris, definitely Jim Smith players. Give it their all, home internationals. Kinkladze, Maverick, Mayfly. Um, what was the reaction when Kinkladze came to Derby? Kinkladze was loved. He was a class above. We got him on loan initially uh, from Ajax, I think it was, where he wasn't getting much game time, and then it turned permanent. And, and Kinkladze was a bit of a bit of real quality in the side at a time when we didn't have that that quality. But going back to sort of the the Jim Smith type player, it's quite well. It's very interesting looking back because at that time, stretching from. 1995, essentially, Derby were delving into the the international markets in a way that no other club it's really amazing. were. Really yeah. amazing noting that some of the players, well, you can rattle them off, um, but they in one season, kind of in the same squad, Poom, Wanchop, Lawson, Willems, and Asanovic. Um, yeah, who was doing that? Was that McLaren? McLaren was part of it, but essentially, Jim Smith had he wasn't given the credit he really deserved because he was a an ingenious manager and he was someone who was open to a lot of a lot of different ideas so he was brought players from um, around the world through his contacts so he had a contact called Bob McNabb who used to play for Arsenal who brought him Paolo Wanchop um, and then we had Archie Gemmel who was one of the, the scouts as well and he's essentially been served up a, a selection of international players who, who could come to Derby and the idea with that was that you know, Jim would be Jim would be the manager. Steve McLaren would very much do sort of the training side of things, and he'd be the one who would thrive in in bringing Francesco Biano and Stefano Rania into the side. But McLaren would be the one who would uh, sorry, Jim Smith would be the one who'd be there there for them on sort of a personal level because that was one of his his biggest talents almost the the man management side of things and being a, a dad or a granddad to everybody. So they were really, um, Jim Smith and Steve McLaren were really sort of a, an incredible duo because they recognised these opportunities in international players, thrived upon them, and yeah, it saw Derby go to a level that they've been absolutely nowhere near ever since. Yeah. Um, of course, Liam Rossini, a good player, but not in the same league as Taribo West, who came <laughs> in on loan. Although that season that he was there, 2000-2001, 17th place, uh, no one got ten figures in goals and two away wins. Were you going away at that time as well as home? Not at that point, no, not at that point. But the thing with Trebo West was that he came in October or November it was, and at that point we hadn't won a game yet. And I don't think we kept a clean sheet. And as soon as Trebo West came in, things transformed. So we looked absolutely doomed at that point. And then we came in and kept a clean sheet against Arsenal, I think it was, and beat Bradford. And things transformed almost overnight. And Tariba West again was, he wasn't like the, the rest of the players we brought in from overseas. He was, you know, this guy who every weekend would go back after a match to Milan where he was, a, where he owned a church essentially. Oh, yeah. And he wouldn't turn up to training. We wouldn't know when he was turning up to matches. But when he was there, he was an absolute class above. 
anyone else in the lower half of the Premier League. And that sort of coincided with bringing Colin Todd in as a coach as well, which shored up things at the back with the two of them having sort of their own... After Colin Todd was a, a world-class central defender in his time, and then he was a manager as well, and Tariba West was just ridiculous to to watch and probably play against as well. Um, so the two of them together were pivotal to to keeping the side in the Premier League and that's what happened in sort of the, the later years you did bring in these occasional signings who would just get Derby to safety and then it would almost be rinse and repeat for the next season um, compared to the first few where the, the sky was the limit almost it became 17th after that was a good place to be uh, and that was around the time that uh, there was a package deal Stimatch and Wanchop obviously Harry Redknapp thought they were top top players could, and the, the the way that you tumbled down there, you don't need me to tell you that you were 8th in 1989, 16th in 1999-2000. Was it as simple as the man you call Igor and you can? Because he's one of the two men, along with Steve McLaren, who write a forward uh, to your book, Groundwork, which is out now, published on pitch, of course. Uh, but is it as simple as saying you lost your top goal scorer, you lost your captain? No, it's not. It's, it's as simple as saying we lost Steve McLaren. Steve McLaren was... He went to Man United, as he has done now, but he went to Man United with Alex Ferguson and he was never, ever replaced. And he was a huge, huge loss because what he did at Derby was very, very underappreciated. You know, Jim Smith was this amazing man-manager. He wouldn't do much of the coaching on the training pitch. And Steve McLaren was obviously miles ahead of his time, otherwise he wouldn't have been poached by, by Man United. And without him... There, alongside Jim Smith, we went through a, a run of trying to find coaches who would fill in the role. Couldn't do it, and the the burden became more on on Smith himself. So it meant that we were losing a lot of the the ideology we had off the field, um, as well as losing some of the players on it as well. So within the space of a few months, we lost most of our coaching staff. I think Eric Steele went around that time as well. Um, He's a goalkeeper went, coach. Goalkeeper coach, yeah. yeah. Um, Igor went, Paolo Wanchop went, Bill Besic, the sports psychologist, he moved to Man United as well. And Asanovic went, Biano went. It was a case of, you know, all everything that made Derby an absolute force at that time was, was disappearing a little bit. And it all fell on Jim Smith to try and turn things around, which I don't think any man or any, any single man could have could have done by himself. Uh, you mentioned Bill Beswick. Uh, Sam Allardyce is often credited with bringing the American fitness regimes over. Arsene Wenger famously invented pasta, which is a line that Rory Smith used and that I've repeated for years. But you talk in groundwork about Beswick and also the fact that Derby were the first to bring in Prozone. So it really was McLaren who was given a lot of latitude by Jim Smith to be the intermediary between the players and the side. Would McLaren coach on the sidelines? Would he stand there? Yeah, McLaren would be doing the the bulk of the on-pitch coaching, essentially. Um, but he'd also be the one who would, like you say, he'd bring in Bill Bezik, he'd bring in Prozone, he'd bring in a fitness coach in the first place. And he was doing a lot. He was, he was doing a manager's job or a head coach's job, I'd say, with with Jim Smith as the manager. Um, but that all became that all came because Jim Smith trusted him. You know, McLaren was a, a young coach at that point. He had a bit of experience at Oxford, no more than that. And essentially, Jim Smith 
met him a few times when he went to Oxford for post-match drink, um, where Steve, Steve McLaren would pour the uh, he'd pour him a water and whiskey. This was his request. They got to know each other from there, and Smithy basically found that McLaren knew what he was talking about and uh, could almost see the future in terms of where the game was going. And yeah, he he was the brightest coach in English football from quite an early age. Um, and it all came about because Jim Smith trusted him essentially, which I don't think a lot of older managers, um, without being without yeah, being rude yeah, to Smith, yeah. would would have done. Because you know, if you're thirty, twenty, thirty years someone senior, you're probably not going to give them the sort of the freedom that that Smith gave to McLaren. Um, but then at the same time, he brought through. Steve Round as well, who's assistant at Arsenal, and he gave people the freedom to, to grow in their own positions and never held them back, which is testament to, to the sort of man that Jim Smith was. Yeah, great management. So it didn't surprise you when at Camp Nou, um, maybe it was McLaren who said, bring on Teddy and Ollie, and he should be credited with um, helping United win the treble. So sad for Derby, but did you feel a bit of pride when United won the treble? Because it's it's Derby's trophy, <laughs> maybe not, but <laughs> it's um, yeah. But I mean, if with Alex Ferguson, he was close friends with Jim Smith as well, and obviously they'd spoken a lot about Steve McLaren, and and Alex Ferguson went through sort of the the right passage of going through Smith to to get to McLaren because I think if Jim Smith had said no, um, we want to keep hold of him, then Ferguson would have absolutely followed his his wishes because they were very good friends, but. The fact that he was allowed to go and allowed to be part of a side who would do football in history in the space of three or four months is quite exciting to look back at because Derby were envied in a way by even the biggest managers in in English football. Yeah, essentially everything that Derby and Jim Smith and Steve McLaren brought through, the rest of the game would then take on over the course of a few years, whilst Derby would be a little bit a little bit left behind. Yeah. The book is Groundwork. Steve McLaren writes a forward, as does Igor. And just before we mention Igor, do you remember when it was rare for Manchester United to get beaten? I remember Barnsley beat them. There was an FA Cup defeat. Derby County beat them at Old Trafford. There was a 1-1 draw, which I think was... Was it the second home game of 96-97? Were you there yes, for that home game? Uh, I wasn't there, no. Um, I was a bit too young for that one. But yeah, I remember the uh, Jacob Larson scored a a free kick past past Peter Schmeichel at that point. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, Derby at that point would, would beat everybody. We we beat Arsenal up 3-0 at home, beat Liverpool away, um, beat Man United a few times. There was no one really who... I mean, for the first time, 14 games, I think it was a Pride Park, we didn't lose. And we won more than we drew as well. So Derby were... I think it came because it was a lot of international plays as well, but they were sort of a force to be force to be reckoned with, and that's why it's such a that's why basically I wrote the book because Derby were they could have gone a lot further than they did almost, and there are a few reasons, mainly financial, as to why they didn't. But yeah, it was such a such a good time because sides were coming to Pride Park, and, and you were going to away games thinking, you know, we can get something from this, or you were expecting to beat a side who on paper would be a lot better than Derby because of the, the coaching and the players who were coming through and, and the feel-good factor. There was almost no there was no fear factor 
for, for Derby at that point. Well, and also because you had the warrior at the back, the Yugoslav Croatian, um, but you also had a player signed for £200,000 from Carlisle. Was it notable? Was one of the tactics the long throw by Rory Delap? Or was McLaren more I, sophisticated than that? Yeah, you know what? It wasn't. I think, I'm trying to think back now, I think Delap might have come in towards the end of, of McLaren's time. But at that point, he he wasn't really a, a throwing specialist as such. He was just a, a utility player who would play everywhere across yeah. the pitch. And thinking about Delap, I don't think he was really known as a, a long throw specialist until Stoke, to be honest. I mean, he obviously always had it in his, in his repertoire, but it was only when when he turned up at the Britannia, that it became this global global weapon that Tony Pulis would, would play to. But yeah, when he was at Derby, he was just a player who would play at central midfield, then right back, then right attacking midfield, left midfield, and score a few goals in there as well. But the people who should have scored the goals, and indeed Ashley Ward, who was replaced by Dion Burton, uh, a couple of players didn't work so well. Who was your favourite out of Bobokis and Beck? I think it's difficult to pick a favourite. <laughs> Why didn't they work? Like, Why didn't it work for them? Bobokis, I'm, I'm, I'm not too sure, really. I think they were just better players um, than him in the side. But with Beck, he, he didn't fit into to Smith's personality, essentially. I heard a story about how he turned up in, sort of, I think it was leather trousers or something on his first day, and Smith, Jim Smith was like, what the hell is this? sort of thing so he really wasn't a Jim Smith sort of player yeah at the same time I mean around that we, we still had Paolo Wanchop at that point and Dean Sturridge Francesco Baiano so there were better players around it wasn't like they were brought in in the case of Ravanelli as a okay they need to save this football club sort of thing they were almost like nice little added extras which which didn't necessarily work but the, in terms of sort of the, the overseas signings or the, the signings who weren't from Britain there were a lot more hits than the misses, I think. Yeah, I've just read Max Dickens' book, Billy No Mates. Max is a comedian and a, an improv uh, comic and a, a radio presenter. And his favourite game is just talking about 90s footballers. And my God, there are some fine ones uh, in the Derby County squad. He actually thinks that Horatio Carbonari's name cannot be beaten. Uh, what was Carbonari like as a footballer? He's good. He was good. I mean, he scored twice against Forest, which, which yes. helps. But yeah, he was a really sort of steady, steady defender. And he was good going forward. He was a leader, an amazing name to sing. And yeah, he sort of fit into a side where at that point it was towards the back end of Eagles Stimash's time. I think we had him for four or so seasons in the end, Carbonari. And he struggled with injuries at times as well. But he was a he was a real asset, and whenever he was fit, he'd be he'd be in the squad. Um, and I think he was the maybe the second Argentinian we had after Esteban Fuertes for a few weeks. But he was a good player, he was Carbonari. Um, and you managed to get for the pair of them, Christian Daly and Lee Carsley, sold to Blackburn for nine million pounds. So again, testament to what. Um, Steve McLaren did, and uh, Lee Carsley is coach of Cities. Uh, he was at Cities, now England under-21 manager. Uh, do yeah. you follow how he's doing there? A little bit, yeah, a little bit. Obviously, it's, um, I suppose to a lot of people who, who have sort of played with him as well, and he was a very underrated footballer because he, he sort of came through the Derby Academy in a variety of different positions. I think he's, he's most looked back on as like a, a defensive midfielder almost now, mm-hmm. but when he first came through, he was a bit more attacking, a bit wider. He'd play a right back. He'd be someone who, again, was a bit like Rory Delap in terms of being a, a utility player, but a utility player who was good 
wherever he plays. And it's interesting to actually look at that side from over the years because there's a lot of players who who did go into management, who did go into coaching, and who were sort of inspired by what they did with with Jim Smith and Steve McLaren as well. So you've got Igor Stimac, who's an India manager now, Asanovic is Zambia manager. Steve Round, obviously, is going to coaching. Lee Carsley, Roy Delap's a coach. Paolo Wanchop is a manager. Gary Rowett, there's a few who've gone to some really interesting things. Chris Powell, yeah, of course. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of a lot of good ones in there have gone along to uh, a lot of interesting things. Then you've got some who have set up their own academies. I think Mark Poom's got his own goalkeeping academy. So, yeah, it's interesting to see where, where they all end up. Just before I forget, because we've been trailing it for ages, Big Igor would have been the Nemanja Vidic of his day, which is a lazy comparison. But it, I know him as a West Ham player more than a Derby player, but he was with you for four seasons. What role did he have at, in the club, especially relating to the fans, since he was the mouthpiece of the team? He played the role of God, Good. basically, at, at that football club. He was absolutely adored, and he still is adored. He, um, you know, he came in... Off the back of, I think, off the back of the, the War of Independence in Croatia, essentially, and he came in and completely transformed the side. I think his first, well, his first game was a five-one defeat at Tranmere, and then which he scored in as well. And then they decided to readjust the side a little bit and put him as a sweeper, turn into sort of a five at the back almost. And from then on, I think we went twenty games unbeaten, and. You know, fans absolutely loved him. If you if you throw the word icon or legend at a, a derby player from the last thirty years, then then it's it's absolutely thrown at him because he was head and shoulders above anybody else in in the first division when we signed him. Um, and then he was just a, an utter warrior, but so classy on the ball as well, and just such a a warm welcoming person I know a lot of people who met him off the pitch and, and absolutely loved him so yeah he was he was Mr Derby County for, for quite a long time essentially and he was a, a big person to lose at that football club yeah. and two things coming off of that how is he finding India and how has he found the last two years watching the place that he used to love and still loves um, suffer so much he, yeah so he finds that difficult um, when I first spoke to him, I spoke to him a couple of times as part of this. The first thing he said was, "You know, what's happening with that club?" Because he was still following the results every week, and he he had some things to say about Mel Morris as well, which unrepeatable because uh, he'd sue. Exactly, yeah, which is always a nice thing to uh, to say when someone else doesn't like certain <laughs> someone. Yeah. But um, but yeah, he was uh, in terms of India. I think it's an interesting setup that, he, that it has over there because you know it's still a. A side or a nation where where football is growing, and he does have sort of a limited amount of people who I think he can he can pick from. But I think they they got through to the the Asia Cup, which is which is a huge step for them. So yeah, it's a, it's an interesting interesting one to end up in. But um, I think he's enjoying it. I can't really speak for him, but I think he's enjoying it. Does he play much cricket? He didn't when he was at Derby. I know that. Uh, where there are a few players who did, and I was told that categorically he was not one of them. So maybe, maybe he's learned to love it a little bit. Yeah, well, you have to in that. I've never been, but everywhere you go, someone's playing football. I think I know who's going to be Derby's next manager. Obviously, Liam Rossini will guide Derby back to the promised land of Watford and Rotherham away next season. 
Uh, and I, I wish him so much luck because not just because we need more of people who look like him coaching clubs, but he's got the link with the club. He describes as a really good coach, but I know who the new manager is going to be. He came through the academy, started playing in kind of 1999 and did very well at Barrow, putting in the kind of football and sticking to his guns and saying, this is how I want to play even in the conference. So your thoughts, Ryan Hills, on Ian Everett, the next Derby manager? I mean, you never know. He's doing a good job at Bolton. Um, and he's a, he's a Derby fan as well. He's, he came up through the, through the Derby Academy. I didn't know that. It, it wouldn't be beyond the realms of possibility. But at the same time, I think for the first time in a long time, we've got a manager who isn't looking beyond Derby. You know, Frank Lampard obviously was. In the end, Gary Rowett did when he went to... Uh, to Stoke, Wayne Rooney was never going to stay Derby for too long. But now we've got a manager who I think sees Derby as not necessarily a challenge, but a, a huge opportunity for him to grow within a squad rather than for him to grow and then leave a squad. I think Liam Rossini is the perfect person we can have in charge at the moment in terms of, you know, we need to grow, he needs to grow. And he's at a football club where there will now be that time for him to, to mould how he wants his career to be. So, yeah, if he never ever wants the job, I'm sure, I'm sure it might go around at some point. But for now, um, I think we're in a really good place with the senior. I agree. Groundwork, the inside story of Jim Smith's Derby County. Now, I watched your chat with Owen Bradley as part of Rams TV. And you mentioned that Jim has Jim Smith has written a memoir. So when you are writing a book about a person... How heavily do you lean on the memoir and how much do you have to avoid just copying vast chunks of it? Yeah, it was, I, I included bits, but primarily bits which I could support and bits which would show his personality a little bit. So with, with this, I, I read sort of Jim's memoirs a few times and for anyone listening, I recommend reading it because it's, it's a really good book. It's really, really funny as well. But um, yeah, I, I lent on it quite a bit, but I lent more on the, the interviews that I wanted to do as part of this. So probably more important than Jim's autobiography were the sort of the 50-odd interviews from people all around who would then give me their take on Jim and their experience with him, which I could then back up with some of the things he was saying or, or counter some of the things he was saying with what other people were. So it was, yeah, it was quite interesting to, to be able to contrast a little bit, but it, the idea of the book was never to be critical, essentially, towards him. It was to tell the story, and I was able to support that with some of the, the things that he said in there as well. A final thought. Steve McLaren has not written his memoir. Pep Linders of Liverpool, Jurgen Klopp's assistant has yeah i think the next book should be you helping mclaren with his memoir because i'd love to read more about him especially the nonsense at derby yeah i i would be i would love to read that book i would love to read the book yeah that's what the pepline is one and i'm sure it's a great read but you know he's still very early in the game whereas mclaren's been everywhere for a long time and who knows i'm sure that book will come one day um and if he ever wants someone to help him write it then i'll be more than happy to but yeah for the time being, I look forward to, to seeing what he goes on to next because I think there'll be a, it will be a very, very intriguing read considering some of the things he's done in his career. Yes, and it, well, Alex Ferguson will ring him up and say, you better not write anything bad. Uh, Matt Dickinson's <laughs> book 1999 on the United Treble is out uh, this week as we speak. And uh, when are you next going to Pride Park? Uh, in a 
couple of weekends time, I think it is. Uh, I can't remember who we've got, but won't be too long away, hopefully. Although I need to get there and see the uh, the book in the shop in person, actually. So yes. that's the next step. Excellent. The book is published by Pitch. But it is on sale in Amazon, so it's thirteen ninety nine there. Uh, but yes, <laughs> get the book Groundwork on Amazon. Ryan, best of luck to the Rams and uh, have a good season. You too. Thank you, Johnny. That's like a library!